Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, if you want to donate, if you donate $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and From John to Justin, and on social media. If you donate $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by you with your name at the start. It's also stated it's sponsored by you on social media. If you donate $20, you get everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And if you donate $50, you get everything from the $5, $10, and $20, plus you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. You can also donate at buymeacupofcoffee slash craigu, and all of these links will be in my show notes. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to Bairdo37. And if you like, you can find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash canadianhistoryx. You can also find transcripts of every episode I've ever done on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. After the relatively low-key time of Lord Bessborough, the new Governor-General would bring a passion for Canada that extended back decades. He was a man who loved history, writing, and the idea of a Canadian national identity. He was John Buchan, the first Baron Tweedsmuir. Throughout this episode, I will refer to him as Buchan. Now you think his name would be pronounced Buchan, but no, it's Buchan. Buchan was born on August 26, 1875 to John and Helen Buchan. His father was a free Church of Scotland minister, and as a child, due to holidays in Scotland, he would develop a love of scenery, wildlife, and walking. As a child, Buchan attended the Hutchinson's Boy Grammar School in Glasgow, and he would be accepted into the University of Glasgow at the age of 17 where he studied classics. He would later attend Harvard on a scholarship and won several essay prizes for his writing. With a deep love and talent for writing, Buchan had a desire to become an author, but before he did that, he would take some very different paths. In 1901, he served as the private secretary to Alfred Milner, the High Commissioner of Southern Africa. The area of South Africa would later become a common setting within the writing of Buchan. That same year, he was working as a private secretary, he would be called to the bar, but he would never actually work as a lawyer. On July 15, 1907, he married Susan Charlotte Grosvenor, the cousin of the Duke of Westminster. Together, the couple would have four children, one of whom would have a strong connection to Canada. John Buchan Jr. would work for the Hudson's Bay Company, and when Canada joined the Second World War, he joined the Governor General's Foot Guards and was on the first troop ship to England in 1939. He would see active service and would command a famous Canadian by the name of Farley Mowat. Mowat would describe him as, quote, "...barely 30 years of age, soft-spoken, kindly, with a slight tendency to stutter. He was a tall, fair-haired English romantic out of another age. His famous father's, perhaps." Tweedy, as we called him behind his back, had as a youth sought high adventure, but until this hour, real adventure and the grand tradition had eluded him. End quote. In 1910, Buchan, the father, not the son, wrote Prester John, the first of his adventure novels. 
Set in South Africa, it became a hit, but Buchan was unable to enjoy the success as he was dealing with terrible ulcers at the time. In 1911, Buchan would run for Parliament and was progressive for his time, supporting women's suffrage, national insurance, limiting the powers of the House of Lords, and opposing the class hatred he saw being fostered by liberal politicians. When the First World War broke out, Buchan began to write for the British War Propaganda Bureau, while also working as a correspondent for the London Times. He got the position after he was declared medically unfit for active service, and he was confined to a bed for the first months of the war. In 1915, Buchan published his most famous book, The 39 Steps, which was a spy thriller set just before the outbreak of the war. With this book, many credit Buchan for being the creator of the espionage novel genre. His novels often had the spy chase at the center of the narrative, but due to other authors like Eric Amler, Graham Greene, and Ian Fleming, his contributions to the genre have often been overlooked. The success of this book would lead to four more books in the series, all following the hero, Richard Haney. In 1917, Buchan was made the Director of Information under Lord Beaverbrook, which he called the toughest job he ever had. After the war, Buchan turned to writing historical subjects along with his thriller novels. He would become the president of the Scottish Historical Society and a trustee of the National Library of Scotland. In 1927, he would be elected to the House of Commons. In 1935, he would see his work, The 39 Steps, adapted into a movie directed by Alfred Hitchcock. That same year, Buchan was appointed to the Order of St. Michael and St. George, and he was also made the first Baron Tweedsmuir by King George V on June 1, 1935. He was selected for the title due to his association with the village of the same name at the head of the River Tweed. As well, Lord Buchan was already taken at the time. The reason he was elevated to the peerage was because he was going to be the new Governor General of Canada, on the recommendation of Prime Minister R.B. Bennett. Opposition leader William Lyon Mackenzie King recommended that Buchan serve as Viceroy as a commoner, but the King would not allow this. King would write in his diary about the appointment of Buchan as Governor General that he was inwardly delighted over the appointment. He would add, quote, I gave word to the press that I was greatly pleased and that I regarded the appointment as an excellent one. End quote. King and Buchan had actually known each other for some time. Buchan and his wife had visited with King on his estate, Kingsmere, in 1924. At the time, King would say of Buchan, quote, I know no man I would rather have as a friend, a beautiful, noble soul, kindly and generous, in thought and word and act, informed as few men in this world have ever been, modest, humble, true, man after God's own heart, end quote. At the time, Buchan had also become disillusioned with politics, and his arrival in Canada would give him a fresh outlook on the role of a public figure. As Buchan approached Canada, Prime Minister King would send a greeting to him over the wireless, stating, quote, My colleagues and I are looking forward with delight to greeting you in person upon your arrival at Canada's ancient capital and of renewing our welcome at Ottawa, end quote. On November 4, 1935, Buchan was sworn in as the new Governor General of Canada. When Buchan arrived in Canada, he found R.B. Bennett was now out as Prime Minister and King was now back in at the top post. It was also unusual as this was the first time that a Governor General was sworn in at night as his ship was delayed by stormy weather. At his ceremony, Buchan would say, quote, You have welcomed not only His Majesty's representative, but my wife and myself. 
in words so kind that I find it hard to make an adequate reply. We are looking forward to five years of duties and also of happiness, for we have come to a land which we already know and love, a land in which we have many friends, among whom Mr. Prime Minister, one of the oldest and most valued, is yourself. End quote. King would present the Bible for Buchan to swear upon, and he would write about the ceremony in his diary, stating, quote, I kept looking at Buchan as I did, and he kept returning my look with a smile of delight, which was easy to discern. It was a knowing look between each of us. I read what was written as if I meant it. It was democratic from the first word, and in simple, straight, honest English, with the emphasis on the right words, and words with true and right values throughout, End quote. King would also describe Buchan in his diary that day, stating that he was a frail-looking individual who was puritanical in type like Cromwell in appearance, but smaller than one would expect. King would write, quote, As he sat in his chair, the shadow of the little device, microphone, hanging above, the light from behind cast as a shadow on the red covering at the back of the seat, it was like a light in the Catholic Church. The flame in a hanging chalice, to me is the symbol of the Holy Grail, like the dove descending, the Spirit of God. End quote. I'm very glad to have got started at last and to be going to a land which I know and love. I am greatly looking forward, and so is my wife, both to the voyage and to our journey's end. I am very sure that Canada, which I already know to some extent, will become far dearer to me on a closer acquaintance. Coming to Canada, Buchan had a deep knowledge of the country, having written about the country as a journalist, and had been a keen follower of the actions of the Canadian forces during the First World War. Throughout his time as Governor-General, Buchan continued to write and set a goal for himself to travel the length and breadth of the country. He said of his job, quote, a Governor-General is in a unique position, for it is his duty to know the whole of Canada and all the various types of her people, end quote. He would also save his position, quote, I am not a grandee of noble blood in a state. I'd be foolish to pretend to the traditions of my predecessors, but I am a man of worldly experience in a number of fields, and I must use this experience. I must meet all ranks of Canadians, must learn all colours of thought, understand conflicting points of view. End quote. A typical day for the Governor General consisted of rising between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m., having a good breakfast, but he typically did not have tea. He would spend part of the morning reading the newspaper, and by 10 a.m. would walk around the Rideau Hall grounds. By 10.30 a.m., he was back at his desk beginning his work day. From 12.15 p.m. to 12.45 p.m., he would receive callers before eating lunch. Then, it was back to work, and by 5 p.m., he was receiving callers again for half an hour. At 8.15 p.m. he was eating supper, but rarely did the family get to eat together, just themselves, as there were often guests. Buchan would travel from coast to coast and into the Arctic to see regular Canadians. During a visit to Windsor, he spent some time in an automobile factory, where he asked many questions of the staff about the inner workings of the factory, while also signing books for the staff. By 1939, Buchan had travelled about 112,000 kilometres around the country, during one trip in 1937, he would fly all the way to the edge of the Arctic Ocean, a six-hour flight from Fort Smith that was part of a longer 7,000-kilometer expedition by land, sea, and air that began in Edmonton. 
As Governor-General, Buchan encouraged a Canadian national identity, which often angered some imperialists. In Montreal in 1937, he said, quote, A Canadian's first loyalty is not to the British Commonwealth of Nations, but to Canada and Canada's king, end quote. The Montreal Gazette would call him disloyal over the comment. Buchan also felt that the ethnic groups within Canada should retain their individuality as each made up the national character. This was a forerunner to multiculturalism, which became an official policy in the 1970s. Buckingham was also an advocate for the indigenous and would agree to assist the Cree in obtaining a copy of the treaty between Queen Victoria and the indigenous chiefs that had been signed decades ago. He would tell the indigenous delegation, quote, it should not be hard to get a copy of the parchment, end quote. In 1936, he would visit the indigenous in Carleton, Saskatchewan, where he was given the name of Chief, and I'll pronounce this the best I can, Okamau Atatauhyuku by the Cree, which means tell her of tales. He would receive a headdress and a robe that was cast about his shoulders. The entire ceremony was officiated by Chief Sam Swimmer of the Sweet Grass Cree Nation, who was the nephew of Chief Palmaker. Buchan would tell the chiefs, quote, Brother Chiefs, I am most happy on this occasion. You have done me a great honor in taking me into your brotherhood. End quote. On January 13, 1936, Buchan would see his first hockey game while admitting he had played hockey as a boy in England, but it differed heavily from the hockey game he had just watched. In the game, the Ottawa Senators defeated the Montreal Victorias 6-2 in front of 4,000 fans. Buchan would say he was thrilled with sustained action and the dexterous skating ability and the speed of the game. Buchan also shook hands with each player from the game and also dropped the puck to open the game. The year 1936 would be an odd one for Buchan. King George V died in January 1936 and he was succeeded by his son, King Edward VIII. Of course, he would abdicate the throne on December 11th, bringing in his younger brother, King George VI. In the space of 12 months, Buchan commented to Mackenzie King that he had represented three kings in Canada. This last year has been a year of great anxiety and unrest throughout the world. But here in Canada, we have been happily allowed to attend to our own business. Long may that continue. It has been a notable year in another way. We have lost one great king by death. We have lost another well-beloved king who of his own will has resigned his high office. Today we have a new king to whom Canada extends her warm allegiance and loyalty. I think we may say that we have realized more than ever today that our free and democratic monarchy is a cornerstone of the empire and that whoever occupies the throne that throne remains the most stable thing in an unstable world. I am very glad to have the opportunity of giving a New Year message to the people of Canada. When I spoke on this occasion last year, I had only been two months in the country. Since then I have been more than a year 
I have traveled from the Atlantic to the Pacific. I have seen a good deal of the prairies and something of the north. I can only say that my experiences have made me more than ever in love with Canada and its people and more than ever convinced of the greatness of Canada's future. In 1937, Buckin would take his longest journey around Canada, traveling for 66 days in the summer, covering 19,000 kilometers throughout the Canadian north and the western provinces. This trip gave Buckin the distinction of traveling more than any other governor general before him. One of the biggest events in the history of Canada would occur in May and June of 1939, when King George VI and Queen Elizabeth toured the country on the first royal visit in Canadian history. Buckingham actually conceived of the idea of the royal visit, and he wanted to show Canada's status as an independent kingdom within the Commonwealth. He would put a lot of effort into getting the king to agree, which he did, including going to London to meet with the king directly. And the king would finally agree in the summer of 1938. And while the king and queen were in Canada, Buckin retired to Rideau Hall for the tour, stating that while the king was in Canada, quote, I ceased to be viceroy and retain only a shadowy legal existence as the governor general and council, end quote. The ceremony proceeds upon traditional lines with inspection of the Guard of Honor, and then in the open state landau, their majesties drove through the streets, King George in field marshal's uniform, Queen Elizabeth in mauve. One of the first calls is Lansdowne Park, this is Ottawa's favourite recreation ground for children, but the cheering here is full grown. Their Majesties went in state to the Canadian Parliament. For the first time, the Royal Assent was given in person by the Sovereign to bills passed by the Government of Canada. This day was observed as the King's birthday, and Trooping the Colour was carried out on Parliament Hill by Canadian Guards, while the Queen watched with Lord Tweedsmere, the Governor-General. And later on the same day, there was a garden party at Rideau Hall. The hall is Government House, residence of the Governor-General. And in the wooded peace of this Palace of the Dominion, their majesties walked and chatted with the guests. I actually covered the entire royal tour on the podcast Canadian History X, so be sure to check it out. As Governor-General, Buckin would write his autobiography, Memory Hold the Door, as well as work on the history of Canada. He would also establish the first proper library at Rideau Hall, and he founded the Governor-General's Literary Awards, which remain the top literary prize in Canada. By August 1939, with his time as Governor-General coming to an end, Buckin was popular enough that Prime Minister King began looking at extending Buckin's time in Canada. At this point, no Governor-General had served more than seven years, which was what Earl Grey served from 1904 to 1911. At the time, many knew that Buckin's health was not perfect, but that did not seem to bother King. Unfortunately, less than a year later, Buckin's time as Governor-General would come to an end for a tragic reason. In the morning of February 6, 1940, while in his bathroom, Buckin hit his head, suffering a severe head injury. King would describe receiving a phone call from Willis O'Connor stating that Buckin had suffered an accident. He would relate in his diary that Buckin had been shaving in the bathroom and fallen into the bath which was empty at the time. It was his habit to shave first and then bathe before having his breakfast in bed. As his servant brought breakfast, he found that Buckin was not in his bed. He went to the bathroom and found him in the bathtub with a lot of blood at the back of his head, only partially unconscious and semi-delirious. He was then moved to his bed when a Dr. Gunn was phoned. 
King learned later in the morning and told that Buckin had had a stroke in the bathroom that caused his fall. King would then begin crafting a message to Canadians that morning, and he would write in his diary that it, quote, required all one's strength and endurance to carry through the next three months. Happily, my faith is strong, end quote. When the press began to call, King instructed his staff to not refer to it as an accident, but as a fall as he felt it would sound better to the public. It would be reported that he had had a fall in his room while dressing, but had sustained only a mild concussion. King was told later in the day that it was not a stroke after all, but that Buckin could not move his right arm or shoulder. Buckin was also able to open his eyes and stick out of his tongue when he was asked to by the doctor, and he could recognize his wife. Buckin's wife would visit King and he would relate what she said in his diary, stating, quote, She told me that he had apparently finished shaving and must have had some kind of giddiness, had gone to sit on the side of the bath, spoke of government house baths as being of heavy porcelain. He had fallen over and struck his head and been found lying in the bath with his head bleeding and quite delirious, end quote. After the meeting, King was again told that it was possibly not a stroke, but there was still a chance that it was. King was told that the Governor General would have to stay in bed for up to two months, and if he survived, he would not be able to assume the duties of Governor General again. Celebrated neurologist Wilder Penfield would be called in to assess Buckin's condition. On February 7th, the press reported that Buckin was improving and resting comfortably. The Ottawa Citizen reported, quote, He has steadily improved and is now conscious and is resting comfortably, end quote. By February 8th, King had phoned Lord Bronkington to tell him that he felt Buckin would not last much longer. Victoria Times columnists would report that day, quote, Lord Tweedsmuir spent a restless night and his condition this morning gives rise to a grave anxiety on account of his increasing weakness, end quote. Buckin would be placed aboard a special train from Montreal's Neurological Institute at the Royal Victoria Hospital, where Dr. Penfield was headquartered. He would go through an emergency operation which was done to relieve the intracranial pressure that occurred when he hit his head. On February 10th, it was stated in the Ottawa Journal that the condition of Buckin had improved, and he would go through a second operation in Montreal to relieve pressure on the brain. On February 11th, 1940, Buckin, the Governor General of Canada, had passed away. Upon that moment at 7.13pm until 10.30pm, when the Chief Justice was sworn in as the Acting Governor General, Canada was without a representative of the British Crown. King would write in his diary, quote, So far as anyone within Canada was concerned, I was practically alone in the government of our country, at least for those hours, end quote. King would announce to the country the news over the radio, stating, quote, In the passing of His Excellency, the people of Canada have lost one of the greatest and most revered of their governors general, and a friend who, from the day of his arrival in this country, dedicated his life to the service, end quote. President Franklin Roosevelt would convey his condolences to Lady Tweedsmere, stating, quote, I was shocked and greatly grieved to learn of Lord Tweedsmere's death. Mrs. Roosevelt, and I recall with pleasure and affection meetings with Lord Tweedsmere and you and send you our sincere sympathy in your great loss, end quote. George Drew, the conservative leader in Ontario, would state that the Governor General was, quote, a demonstration of all that is good and decent and worthwhile in the British way of life, end quote. At the time of his death, both his sons were active in the military and the war effort. Buckin would lie in state in the Senate Chamber of Parliament Hill, and then Buckin was given a state funeral in Canada. His ashes were then returned to England for burial. 
Cannot obeyed farewell to her late well-beloved Governor General, mourning for a King's representative who had earned general esteem. The body of the first Governor General to die in office was placed in the Parliament buildings for the ceremonial lying in state. Thousands waited in the bitter cold to pay homage to his memory. He had risen to one of the highest positions within the Empire. John Buckham, the writer whose early days in Scotland were memories revived in the Scottish Presbyterian Church in Ottawa. Among the many mourners was Alistair Buchan, Lord Tweesmuir's youngest son. Across Canada, schools would close on the day of the funeral to pay tribute to the Governor-General. King would be deeply affected by the passing of Buchan. One week after his death on February 18, 1940, he would attend church and find significance in a hymn stated to be Hymn 629. He felt that the hymn, titled Recover with the Lord, was a direct message from Buchan. On the page were the words, Faints to reach the land I love, written to music. He would state in his diary, quote, If it were not in the book before my eyes, I could not believe that this could possibly be true. Clearly, it was to let me see that Buchan was sending me the message that his fainting had brought him into the bright inheritance of saints which are lying just above. If one asked oneself how could one friend let another understand the significance of his death from the hereafter, using only the materials of the earth for the purpose, I wonder if so much could be placed in so small a place. End quote. King would then add up the numbers of 629 which came to 17, a number he felt had great significance in his life. Over the course of his life, Buchan wrote over 100 works that included 30 novels and 7 collections of short stories. Recently, his work has come under scrutiny due to its attitudes towards race. In British Columbia, Tweedsmere Provincial Park is named for him to commemorate his visit to the park in 1937. Buchan would write, quote, I have now traveled over most of Canada and have seen many wonderful things, but I have seen nothing more beautiful and more wonderful than the great park which British Columbia has done me the honor to call by my name. End quote. Tweedsmere Peak is named for him as well, as are several streets throughout Canada, a town in Saskatchewan, and seven schools in Alberta, British Columbia, and Ontario. I will finish this episode with what the Montreal Star said of Buchan days before his death, stating, quote, The Governor-General's broad humanitarian attitude towards life, his capacity for grasping problems of agriculture, forestry, and other great industries that are the lifeblood of the Canadian people, his keen sense of humor, his fine democratic spirit, and above all, his all-embracing sympathies have enabled him to achieve closer contact with the people than any other former occupant of his high office. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at John Buchan, the Governor General of Canada, and the first to pass away in office. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Wendy Mills. Keelan Pregnitz. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, 
Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, National Library of Scotland, editorrec.com, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, Edmonton Journal, Ottawa Journal, Vancouver Province, Windsor Star, Saskatoon Star, Phoenix, Calgary Herald, Victoria Times Columnist, and the Montreal Star. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.